Good morning, New York City. It is now 8.32 in the morning. It's Monday, December 12th, and you're listening to Monday Morningside here at WKCR-FM New York, 89.9 on the dial here in WKCR.org online. Um, And this is the very last episode of this season, I guess, of Monday Morningside. Um, It's been a lovely few months doing this show, and I just wanted to thank everyone who's listening at home, who has sent in recordings to me, who has uh, contributed a segment to the show. It's been a real pleasure to do it. We have 11, this is actually the 11th episode, Uh, we have the other 10 up on Spotify on Apple Musics, and um, it's been a great, great time bringing you this slot, and I look forward to bringing you more shows in the next year, in 2023. Um, You know, it's only getting started, and thanks again to everyone listening. I hope you're having a lovely, lovely Monday morning uh, in New York City. It's cold today. Unfortunately, our weatherman Sergio Boutron is not with us today, but uh, hopefully in 2023 we'll be bringing you some updates on that chilly weather. Um, I wanted to give a quick look at some upcoming broadcasts before we get into our show today, which is themed around finals. It's finals week here at Columbia, so it you can feel it in the air uh, everyone is getting ready for those big exams. Uh, the libraries are filling up. On the 19th, uh, which is in a week, we have the Mersbo birthday broadcast late at night. So all of you night owls will look forward to that. Um, on the 21st, we have our Frank Zappa birthday broadcast at 12 p.m. Um, that's going to be a super fun one. And then we're into Bachfest. It's that time of the year again. Um, and I'm not talking about the holidays. I'm talking about Bachfest, which is our biggest birthday, I guess birthday, special event program that we do here at WKCR. I know you're all looking forward to it, and we are too. I had the pleasure of sitting down with Maria Shaughnessy, who is the classical head uh, here at WKCR, and she's going to give us a look forward to what we can expect from Bachfest this year in 2022. I'm here with Maria Shaughnessy, who you might recognize as our resident classical head. How are you doing today, Maria? I'm doing so well, thank you. Yeah, well, I'm happy to have you on the show. Um, happy to be here. First order of business. I wanted to talk a little bit about Bachfest, which is coming soon. Coming very soon. Yeah. I, yeah, how are you feeling about it? I'm feeling good. I um, Usually the tradition, or at least the, the standard for a classical head, is that they have to be in town and in the station and just generally present during Bachfest. Um, and unfortunately, that is not the case for me this semester or this year. Uh, I'm going to be out of town visiting family. So I've do- been doing my very, very best to get everything sorted out and ready to go before I leave, make sure everyone knows uh, you know, what their show is about, make sure everyone is actually going to come in for their show, make sure the schedule is filled. That's been the biggest part right now is just making sure the schedule is filled because, right. you know, the time between Christmas Eve and New Year's Eve is never a busy one in the yes. station. Um, so Bachfest really needs no introduction to our longtime WKCR listeners, but um, those who are new, it lasts from Christmas Eve to New Year's, Eve. Um, New Year's Eve, mm-hmm. and it's basically just Bach all day long. It's just Bach. I mean, really, there's not much more There's not much more to it. It's, um, I guess, taken from our 24-hour birthday broadcast tradition, right. especially with, uh, you know, the jazz greats. And it started 57 years ago. Wow. A long time. This is our 57th annual Bachfest, although it's been in different iterations every time. I mean, I think when it first started, it was maybe just a day or two, um, and it's kind of fluctuated. We, at one point, did a whole... Th- two weeks of Bachfest and pretty steadily we've been going at eight days for the last few years um but yeah it's just the music of Bach not because it's his birthday not because it is his memorial day or or you know death day anything like that just because Bach seems like yeah it does feel (laughs) it feels fitting yeah it, it, it feels fitting I'm, it's nice for like Christmas gatherings, you know. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's it's like sacred enough to where if you're <laughs> if you're a Christian celebrating Christmas with, you know, religious implications sort of in in Christmas for you, then Bach is fitting. But it's also secular enough to where you can just enjoy it. Yeah. And you know, without any religious undertones, although there are. But you 
Yeah, you have to be a music music major maybe to understand those. Yeah, which or speak German. You are. I am. Yes, I am a music major. Um, yeah, how's I'm curious. What's your relationship to Bach as a music major and as a musician? Well, good question. I um, I mean, I would say Bach's will sort of creep up on you in every right. music class you take. It'll, um, you know, especially in the kind of music progression you start with music theory one you're training one and then you go up to number four and Bach is definitely used as sort of the the gold standard of right. counterpoint which I would agree that he is and so when you're learning counterpoint a lot of the analysis you're doing is Bach um, and same goes for the music history progression I mean you start with medieval and renaissance music and then when mm -hmm. you get into the baroque then you get to Bach and you always spend a lot of time on Bach and so I I personally really love Bach because I love his music, um, but I can see how some people could maybe get a little tired of him. Hmm. Um, but also, I, I love to play the music of Bach. I think that's really what gave me a deep appreciation for him, right. is playing playing his music. Um, I play the harp, so it's not the most intuitive instrument to play Bach on because he was yeah. not composing for harp. But, uh, you know, Bach has been arranged for hundreds of different instruments and arrangements of different kinds yeah we have so, some creative arrangements in the in the studio here yes we do um in the on-air guide if you're interested we can talk more about that later but uh we do have a series of alternative bach recordings yeah. for those of you who are interested in maybe different instruments or different styles of bach but anyways yeah i think it's it's really playing bach that has really made me appreciate him and i, I don't think that i could organize Bach Fest and, um, you know, be a music major and learn so much about Bach without that appreciation. So I think that, you know, it's really important to, everyone says how wonderful Bach is, but until you really feel it, you can't agree with it, you know? Yeah. Do you have a favorite piece by Bach? Favorite piece? Um, he has this uh, little prelude in C minor, BWV 999. Um, which I'm a big fan of. It's really like turbulent and mm. kind of fiery. Um, and probably his violin sonatas and partitas right, are my, if I had to choose one, one full body of work or one full mm. piece of work, piece of music. Um, and that's probably, that's because my mom would play all the time growing up mm. and my sister played the violin. So I would hear her play them. Mm. And I just think that they're so lovely and, so yeah. kind of pure, which I hate that that term when alongside Bach because everyone says in there's kind of this Bach purism <laughs> movement. But um, right. I do think that just listening to those is really great. Yeah, I also played violin, but I didn't quite reach the level of some of those. But um, yeah, they're they're beautiful. Um, really great. Yeah. Yeah, and also just in the the interest of finality and ending the year, uh, we have another on air guide which you can find. Um, on our website, I believe. Yes, on our website, you can scroll down to the very bottom of the site. There, there's a little section that says news, and under there you can see this last month's issue of the On Air Guide, so the December issue, um, which is full of really great stuff. Like I mentioned, the Bach, yeah. it's, we call it the Bach Vent calendar. It's an advent calendar, so 20 th leading up to the Bach Fest, so 23 days of alternative Bach recordings. Um, but then right next to it, if you click on the, the link that's right next to the December issue, you can sign up for the mailing list for the on-air guide, which gets sent out on the first of every month. So all you have to do is put in your name and email. Um, and there's also a little section if you want to add a comment for WKCR for us to see. Um, and you'll get the on-air guide in your inbox on the very first day of every month. Yeah. And it's an exciting kind of, it's an exciting thing that you've sort of brought it back to life, revitalized it. And, um, you know, the semester's ending. You've done two issues, you and the rest of the on-air team, who are other fantastic programmers at the station. How does it feel to kind of conclude the semester with two successful issues? Honestly, it's really, really rewarding. I think uh, what really, what I'm really proud of, what I'm most proud of, is just the fact that I was able to get a team together um, because I can't take much credit for the, con I mean, ev there's so many different moving parts. So, so getting all the articles written and getting the formatting done on, on InDesign and stuff like that, getting the graphics done, all that stuff is such a huge team effort. I think what I'm 
proud of in myself is just getting all those people together because once we got together it was kind of unstoppable like yeah the first the very first meeting we had so many people came and were just so interested and passionate about it, this on air guide which i didn't know but it was so beautiful to see someone else so passionate about something that i was really passionate about so just just getting people together was really all it took to get it back on to get it to get it back alive um and so i'm proud that i was able to do that but I think anyone could have done it. It just took the initiative. Yeah. Well, it's an exciting thing to end your year. Um, and yeah, I'm glad you're able to make it on the show. Do you, do you have any finals as a music major? Um, no, not really. I mean, I have some like final projects sort of, right. but as a music major, for any students out there listening <laughs> and who want to know what to major in, not saying music is an easy major, but it definitely is not uh, the kind of major that forces you to sit in a library for hours on end. <laughs> um so, so yeah, it's a great department, though. Well, we're all looking forward to Bachfest, and congrats on, uh, you know, well, I guess a little early for congrats, but um, congrats on organizing it, and oh, I'm, we're all very excited for it. Thank you. I'm excited, too. I'll be tuning in. All right. Thank you to Maria for sitting down with me. Um, a lot to look forward to with Bachfest. Um, which will end our year uh, here at WKCR. Looking forward to 2023, more great programming in the new year. Um, I'm now going to bring us to the Blue Jay, which is our segment with the Blue and White magazine here on campus. Uh, They have a new issue coming out tomorrow, I believe, uh, which also includes an article by yours truly. Uh, So look forward to that. I sat down with editor-in-chief for the year, Claire Shang, um, she's going to Oxford next semester, but uh, right now she's here in New York, and I had the pleasure of sitting down with her. Uh, she read her article from March of 2021 called Artists of Artifice. Uh, you can find it on the Blue and White websites, theblueandwhite.org. Um, it's called, again, Artists of Artifice, and you can read along with her. She reads a selection from it. Um, and it will also be, if you're listening on the, as a podcast, you can find that as a link in the description of this episode. Um, and now I go to Claire, uh, who is reading that article and also reflecting on the year as editor-in-chief. I'm here with Claire Shang, who is the editor-in-chief of the Blue and White magazine. How are you doing today, Claire? Doing well. Particularly happy to be here in my last week being editor-in-chief. Um, it's an honor. Yeah. I'm so glad we could get you. Um, and congrats on finishing the year, uh, uh, your p- the piece you've selected to read today is called Artists of Artifice. Do you want to just give a little quick introduction, maybe why you picked the piece for today? Yeah, I'd love to. So this was written in March of 2021, which feels like both forever ago and also at the same time happening right now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I was a freshman when I wrote this. It was my freshman spring. I was at home during the COVID year, but attending school virtually. And uh, I had joined the magazine in the fall and we were kind of figuring out what essays meant on the blue and white Mm. um we had to my knowledge not had had not done them before the covid year because we didn't exist online at all so we moved online had a lot more space and had this like essay format and people were playing around with it um and i wanted to sort of write about this thing that uh felt very uh personal but also universal at the same time and i think it's appropriate to bring it back as we're entering a sort of nostalgic time of the semester. Yes, I agree, yeah. (laughs) Um, It feels nice to kind of wrap it up with this. um, Especially, I feel like everyone is releasing photo dumps, you know. Releasing, publishing. Releasing, (laughs) publishing. Our December issue is coming out um, this Tuesday, I believe. Yeah. Um, So stay tuned for that. And uh, without further ado, uh, Artists of Artifice, uh, Claire's essay. You can read it online at theblueandwhite.org. We'll be reading a selection from it, um, but you can read the rest of the piece in its entirety, as well as read it along with Claire as she reads it. So we'll go to that reading now. My childhood bedroom has witnessed many cries over the years, but this one was different. It was sometime in July, and the cycling blare of the Dwayne Reed hold music played from the speakers of my phone. I dropped off a disposable camera in May, hoping to develop my last pictures for my senior year of high school. 
From 112th and Broadway, I expected the Fujifilm Quick Snap Flash 400 to make its way to a film developing facility and return within two weeks. The weeks passed and still I hadn't received my prints. In June, I started calling the branch once a week and by way of apology, explained with escalating desperation that the oversaturated photos really meant something to me. In the meantime, I planned my dorm room wall, leaving blank spaces for the prints. Then it was August and my housing was canceled for the fall. The missing pictures figured themselves into a strange absence that resurfaced in my mind, phantom-like, throughout the semester. It was a short-circuit anticipation, a loss without having lost anything at all. The disposable camera, or dispo, has seen an improbable resurgence in the past half decade. In 2017, Fujifilm sold 7.5 million cameras, doubling its figures in only three years. Today's dispo can be purchased and developed at the drugstore for a total cost of $30 for 20-odd photos. In 2018, Winsight Grocery Business reported $40 million in disposable camera sales, over 3 million individual cameras from American drugstores alone. The dispo's appeal is easy to grasp. The device is portable and relatively inexpensive. It takes just two steps, wind the gear, press the button, to produce photographs glossy with grain, suffused with light. The comeback of dispos is frequently attributed to young people's belief in spontaneity as an avenue for authenticity. A Los Angeles Times feature includes teenage testimonials that the pictures are candid, more authentic, a way to more faithfully embody the present. The Daily Mail goes so far as to declare it a revolution, quote, millennials turning their backs on the heavily filtered worlds of Instagram and Facebook, end quote. Each swivel and click suddenly becomes a subversion of the spoon-fed reproducibility of digital photography. But dispos signify more than popular acceptance of imperfection. Just looking at a photograph reveals something more potent at play. They project the otherworldly, the vintage, the history, the significant, onto our daily lives. Transforming their owners into both artist and subject, they make mundanity feel worthy of preservation. From Dwayne Reed, the customer service representative, transferred me to the stewardship of Sherry at Fujifilm. Addressing me as sweetie with extreme earnestness, she asked me to please describe the photographs my camera had contained. Without seeing her face, I could picture her expectant smile. I didn't want to let her down. It's been months, I wavered over the phone. The whole interrogation was ironic, given that the original appeal of using the dispo to capture these moments was not knowing what the pictures looked like until I received them in print. I plumbed my memory for moments that I might have labeled photogenic, deserving of the dispo. Asian teenagers in front of a brick wall, Asian teenagers in a staircase, a teenager in a mask. The ephemerality of the disposable had vanished. Such was the price of this gracelessness. Sherry asked me to confirm that the envelope's 25 pictures of dogs didn't belong to me. Incredibly, she shuffled through at least a dozen portraits to settle this, unwilling to believe the Irish terrier frolicking in the sand was not mine. As I pondered the sheer devotion required to document one's dog via dispo, Sherry continued, levelly, brown dog with its tail up, no brown dog in yours. I found myself face to face with the hard truth. Someone else had ended up with my pictures. I imagined their gleeful anticipation intercepted at the sight of my friends' faces, fuzzied in translation. The disappointed flip through the stack, the tisk at the inevitable light flares. Probably the pictures ended up in the trash, glossy side down. If only it had been Buddy, I heard them saying, sweet, perfect, tail-wagging Buddy. All right. Thanks for that reading, Claire. Thank you. Um, actually, that was the first one that I've ever done. That's we didn't have any breaks to restop. So what you just heard is completely clean all the way through, which is a feat. Wow. And a piece about authenticity. I've managed <laughs> to, to do the impossible, I guess. Yeah. Um, so you talked a little bit in the beginning about, you know, writing that as a freshman. Um, I guess my first question is, you know, now you've You've just completed your year as editor-in-chief. You know, you're no longer a freshman. Um, <laughs> how does it feel to, you know, re-read that piece? That's such a good question. I think it's an odd feeling. I remember exactly what I was feeling when I was working on this alone. Um, 
and it feels I think I, I like to think that I've grown as a writer but I also think if I wrote this piece right now I'd be writing the same exact words and turns of phrases which is kind of interesting um, but I think that's kind of the fun part about the magazine people tend to join pretty early yeah. and stay and, and publish things with the aspiration of becoming better as a writer but I do think we have core things about ourselves as writers that don't really change so much yeah yeah it's definitely a funny thing to re read your old mm -hmm. work because there's still definitely a part of you that I think you always recognize yeah. and are like a little defensive <laughs> <almost>. <laughs> yeah I feel very protective of this freshman Claire definitely yeah definitely <laughs> definitely well um do you feel like photos are still especially film photos I you go on I think later in the piece you make that point about like filmstagrams being mm -hmm. this like big thing and it, it's it's really true um you know, a lot of people, you know, you'll see like the little camera and then like another account that leads you to all this. <laughs> like, it's a portal. How do you feel like it's kind of aged into, you know, the post pandemic, you know, 2022 world that we're living in? Yeah, that's also a really good question. I think there's some elements of this piece that are dated. For instance, David Dobrik <laughs> is mentioned in the piece because his app Dispo at the time was like valued at $100 million. Oh, um, wow. And it was like about to come out or something like that. And I think more people were on Hooji than are now. Yeah, well, I do remember it's a very specific time yes. where there was a lot of like digital photos mm. that had <laughs> the like overlaid like timestamp, which is ridiculous. But I do think that everyone always wants to talk about social media and yeah. it gets annoying, but I think be real and just like yeah. people thinking about the future of Instagram. I think people always want to talk about authentic authenticity and self-presentation. Yeah. So I do think that's still there. The film Instagrams I think are still yes, really there. Definitely. I think people are moving into like toy cameras that they're buying on like eBay. Oh really? I mean, I think it's almost like progressing, like re-progressing with like the sort of indie sleaze movement. And mm -hmm. it's like, there's like a grainy digital thing that's yeah. happening as well. It's really interesting. Um, at WKCR, we're big advocates for analog media. So As we are with the print magazine, yes. I think. Yeah. Um, and I do think that, you know, when you're kind of working with an older form, like the print magazine and then mm -hmm. moving to online, yeah. things can get dicey. Yeah. Um, but I think what I was really struck with, struck by in 2021, when I was writing this, was that it felt so contrived mm -hmm. for all these people, including myself, to be going through all these steps to produce this effect and I do think that has still remained. Yeah. 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 That makes sense. It's sort of like a, it's a, there's a little bit of artifice there. Oh sure. yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> but it's really tempting. It is incredibly <laughs> tempting. Um, do you still take film photos a lot? I have upgraded out of the disposable camera mm. purely, but it's still kind of a, just a point and shoot. Yeah. Um, and I, I, there's something that still, you know, draws me to it. And I think yeah. that's why I recognize myself so much in the piece. Yeah. But I do think, you know, I think people, who produce radio or who write on the mag on a magazine have this belief in the power of documentation and of creating things and releasing them um, and having that preserved in some capacity that I think my proclivity towards that also gets translated into my lingering attachment to this like toy camera. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And we were talking about like kind of reflecting on that and using the photos as like reflection. Um, I, I wonder, like, how was it, the essay as, like, a form of reflection, mm -hmm. like, you know, you're introducing kind of this new form to the magazine that was mostly features before, mm -hmm. right? So, like, in the process of writing it, I guess, like, what things did you get in, uncover when you yeah. were writing it? Um, I think we were, we were doing a lot of features and a lot of, like, the blue notes that we have now, so, like, the very short pieces about campus life, and we didn't really have a sort of more personal element. And when you bring in the personal stuff, it's obviously yeah. a huge can of worms. And I think the essays since this and, you know, in the past year or so have really draw like walked the really hard line to walk between, you know, celebration and being self aggrandizing. Yes, it is very <laughs> tricky. <laughs> it's really line difficult because I was writing this and I was like, you know, the first line, it's already like bringing in such histrion histrionics into the piece. Mm. Um and I think it's also hard to present this thing in a self-aware way where it isn't overbearingly self-aware. Hmm. Um, but I think I think it clarified my own um, 
fixation on getting these pictures back hmm. during the spring and summer of 2020 while right. being in New York and understanding how I sort of process my own um, my own relationship to being in the present. Right. Um, and so it felt very um, personally important. And I think that's the beauty of like a campus magazine and it's been a big focus of mine this past year as editor-in-chief is to make it feel like a personally fulfilling and important thing to be, you know, contributing to. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I remember you mentioned at the beginning of this message that um, the essay was kind of in a way like your baby as editor-in-chief. And, you know, there have been a <laughs> lot of great essays that have been published in your uh, your term as editor-in-chief. Do you, do you feel like that's been like a successful goal of yours to really kind of make the essay a big part of the blue and white? Yeah, I think it definitely has been. I don't think it was entirely me because I inherited it. Mm. Um, You know, I was an editor-in-chief when I wrote this essay, for instance. But I think it's been a progression since the pandemic of seeing that people really do, with this, like, gained time for self-reflection, people really do want to write meaningful and well-researched things about their own experiences. Um, And I think the essay has gotten to a place where I, I feel like people on campus can read a blue and white essay and be like, oh, that's a blue and white essay. Yeah. Um, in that it emerges from like a personal anecdote or, you know, fixation and brings in research or brings in other people, but then always kind of ends up back with that same person. Um, and I think that level of like investment in the author that you're engaging with um, has been something that I've been trying to enshrine a little bit more yeah absolutely um and i guess now thinking more in the present Mm -hmm. um we you do have again a new issue of the blue and white coming out this tuesday um which will be tomorrow when this goes out Um, it's featuring josh as well so yes (laughs) i actually have my own essay in there which you can read um but you know this is your last uh your last issue as editor-in-chief i guess how does that feel to have that you know as the last one? Oh, that's such a good question. Um, it feels very special. It feels very fast. Um, but I, th- I think the December issue is always fun because people get to kind of bring it with them when they go home. Yeah. Hopefully it doesn't end up in the recycling can. <laughs> I think a lot of them do go with people back at home, hopefully. Um, but it's our largest print issue yet, which is really exciting. We were sort of talking about tangibility and yeah. these sort of like more analog uh, forms. And I think... It was important for me to kind of double down on that a little bit. Yeah. Um, so it's it's very much a physical object. It's a longer physical object, which was also one of my goals as editor-in-chief. And it has some, yeah, I think some really exemplary essays, like we were talking about, some really funny pieces um, and some interesting uh, reflections on sort of campus novels and trying to find like a campus literary identity, which I think right. are really interesting as well. Yeah, and I believe another crossword. Another from crossword Sonar. from our future editor-in-chief. Yes. Do you, is there anything you can tell us about that, about who you, who is inheriting the title? Oh, of course. Um, I'm. This is like the best time of the year. Um, Sona will be our next editor-in-chief, Sona Wink. Yes, good good friend of mine. <laughs> wonderful. It's a small blue and white universe. Yes, it is. <laughs> um, and Victor, who was actually on the show just last yes. week, um, reading a very excellent blue note of his own. Uh, will be our deputy editor, deputy editor and Anouk Joffret will be our new managing editor, which is very exciting. And I'm sure she'll be on this show before too long. Well, she'll have to be. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, it's been exciting, an exciting time. Um, but are there any, you know, closing thoughts in this time of, you know, reflection uh, about your year as editor-in-chief? I think... I've learned a lot, and I think one of them is that on campuses, things can t- kind of feel like they're fizzling out all the time. Mm-hmm. I think when you go to like your last class of the semester and it just suddenly ends, mm. and you realize you'll never see any of these people in the same context ever again. Yeah. Um, or I don't know, people always leave for break at different times. Yeah. I think it's nice to, um like treat the end of something as, as more of a celebration yeah, and to realize that it can get a little bit self-aggrandizing to want to celebrate everything all the time, but that 
that's a better way of coping with endings. Yeah, um, celebrations are <laughs> a lot more fun. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Josh, for having me. Yeah, and have a good uh, winter break. You as well. All right. Thank you to Claire for coming on the show. It's now 9.02 in the morning here in New York City. Today is Monday, December 12th, and you're listening to WKCR-FM New York and WKCR-HD1. That's 89.9 on the dial here in New York City, as well as WKCR.org online. My name is Josh Kazali, and you're listening to Monday Morningside in our finals episode. Not the final episode. We'll be back next year, but uh, a finals-oriented episode finals and end of the year reflection um and in the interest of reflection i have a special message from our very own dj charlie um he's our in all language head um charles smith that is and he brings you uh, a little message um in this time of reflection um this is charles smith Hi, it's DJ Charlie. I do the guitar music show on KCR uh, Tuesdays from 3 to 6 p.m. And that's part of a larger project I've done for a while at KCR. This is my last semester of of college. I'm I'm graduating in, in the next week or two. But since I've been at KCR, I've been trying to make a space for rock and roll for punk rock, for for abrasive, fast, loud, uh, fun guitar music. And so that's what that show's been. You should tune in next week, this week, this Tuesday, for the last one of the year. It'll be it'll be a doozy. Um, but you know, looking back on my time at KCR, I think about the first time I ever did a a rock and roll show, I came in one day on what was what used to be evening profiles, uh, that profile slot on Sundays. And I think there'd just been like a Gershwin profile or something. And I came on and I said, check this out. And I put on pay to come by bad brains. And we played we played Bad Brains all the way through. And I was getting calls from people who, who told me I ruined their day. You know, people, people saying that, uh, that, you know, this was amateur hour. And that made me pretty happy because it, it is amateur hour. And uh, something I, I want to I wanna leave KCR with, and I think talking about finals, uh, a, a, a legacy that I want to keep for our listeners and our, and our programmers is that, you know, there's value in examining an artist like Dr. No of Bad Brains or uh, Johnny Thunders of, of the New York Dolls or, or PJ Harvey or, or, or any of those artists and treating them with the, the seriousness that, you know, our great dear Phil Schapp treated Bert. And I can imagine that in saying that already there's incredible recoil happening in the in the minds of some some of our listeners, uh, and and I, by that I don't mean to say that that someone like P. J. Harvey is a genius, in the same way that Charlie Parker was a genius, or that she should be considered as a uh, as a successor or in or. or great in the same way or, or had the same level of musical, uh, uh, deep musical theoretical knowledge that, that Charlie Parker had, because of course he's singular in that way. But I think what I want to emphasize and what I always wanted to emphasize about rock music and rock music journalism is that there's a lot of kinds of genius. You know, there's the kind of genius that lets you play a solo like Kim, right, or like 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 Coco, um, by Charlie Parker, 
And then there's the kind of, of genius that makes a song like Pay to Come by Bad Brains. And, and those are both geniuses. If, if one is just absolute unparalleled mastery of the saxophone, the other one is, is a real mastery of simplicity and, and speed and brevity and, um, and attitude. So, you know, when, 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 when I get calls doing shows that are like, that tell me, this is amateur hour. This is, this is disgusting. I got, yeah, guys who couldn't pronounce Husker Du telling me that it was making their ears bleed. Um, no, those guys are geniuses. They're just geniuses in a different way. And one which doesn't outshine Charlie Parker, but one which is in, you know, a whole constellation of musical beauty, American musical beauty in the 20th century, uh, which is all worth deep scholarly attention. So if you want to hear more of that scholarly attention, tune in to guitar music from 3 to 6 p.m. this Tuesday for the last show of the year. All right. Thanks to Charlie for that special message. Um, he will be sorely missed here at the station. Um, he's graduating uh, in a few weeks, I believe. Um, so that was our message from Charlie. And we have another kind of finals coming up, and that's the World Cup finals. It's been an exciting time to anyone who's a soccer fan. Um, and I've sat down with our sports analyst, um, at least resident sports analyst here at WKCR, uh, Stephen Dames, and we'll be talking about the upcoming World Cup uh, semifinals and final finals. Here is my conversation with Stephen. In the interest of finals, uh, the World Cup is heating up. I'm once again joined by sports analyst here at WKCR, Stephen Dames. How are you doing today, Stephen? I'm, I'm doing well. Glad to be thought of as a sports analyst. Josh. Yeah. Um, well, two weeks in a row, you're starting yeah, to earn the title. I, I guess so. <laughs> um, uh, yes. What did you think of the games? This weekend we saw the quarterfinals end, which I thought were some really, really fun games. Yeah, they were really fun. Like like the Argentina-Netherlands game was just, wow, was yeah. just awesome. Like that yeah. was really, really fun to watch. Yeah, so why don't we just look back really quick. The first one was Croatia shocking Brazil, um, winning in penalties. Yep. What were your I mean, reaction? Love, love seeing Neymar lose, really, really, <laughs> you know. It may, I really wanted them to just cut to a shot and like Bolsonaro in like in bed with COVID for the 10th time <laughs> after seeing Neymar cry. Um, you know, I'm not certainly not. I don't love Croatia for any special reason, yeah. but it was, you know, it was a decent enough game. Uh, I think Brazil just kind of tired themselves out creatively, like creatively yeah. and, you know, I don't know. Cro- Croatia looks looks annoying. They look annoying to play. Yeah, I, I feel like both the Croatian game and also a few of them were just like really just holding out for penalties yep. and then, yep. you know, getting the job done, yeah. which is like, a, I, I don't know if I was aware of that as a style of play, but it's really interesting. Yeah. Like it's, it's, it's not exactly in the spirit of soccer exactly, <laughs> which is kind of what makes the world cup this weird thing. Cause it's a game that, you know, has ties. So when you get rid of that, it's, it yeah. creates this sort of like alternate reality game. And, that, and that's sort of been the case with Morocco too. Like the, even though they're certainly more excited than Croatia, they, they've just, you know, just shut everything down, be really, you know, organized and annoying and make teams, you know, make one mistake and then not be able to score. Yeah. And then the other one on Friday was Netherlands Argentina, which also went to penalties in also went penalties. An insane like what was that, hundredth minute goal oh, from was, the Netherlands? It, it, I think it, it was like a hundred and first there was like maybe a few seconds left. Really insane. Clock. It was crazy. It yeah. was it was an incredible you know, yeah, like the Netherlands were down two nothing, and it looked like it, it really just looked like they were done. But then they just you know piled on. It was just piled on big dudes, like they just <laughs> had just like big guys. And everyone on Argentina is apparently five eight, and you know it was kind of awesome. I, I really you know I I am a certified you know Messi hater. I hope he goes down. Uh, it's really fun. But then again, I'm not like super pro the Netherlands in any sort yeah. of way. But it was just fun to see a really close game, and there was 
so much bad blood in that game. Yeah, it was scrappy. There was, I think, like something by the end, it was like 43 fouls. Like there was like 16 yellow cards issued, yeah. and somehow no one was taken off the field. Messi 100% should have been taken off the field. Like he, he committed several really yeah. egregious penalties that, you know, he got a yellow card, but he, yeah. by the end of the game, he deserved like three yellow cards. <laughs> it was, and that was just, you know. Whatever I was, I was tweeting during the game, being like, "This is classic <laughs> FIFA throwing it to to Messi." Hey, they don't want a you know a Netherlands Morocco final that no one yeah. would want to watch. Well, so. a very a narrow narrow victory, yeah. um, nonetheless from Argentina. Yeah, um, yeah, and then I thought Saturday was also pretty yeah. good games as no, well. No, Saturday was. Um, I mean, Morocco Portugal. I mean, Morocco is like, at least from what I'm seeing, it seems to be like the big narrative of yeah, the, no, of it the is, tournament it for is sure. the narrative after after japan lost it's now just like this yeah. is the first african team to ever make the semifinals, and they're you know a sort of exciting african team like yeah. they're you know their coach is new like they kind of thought that he wasn't really going to be ready for this world cup and mm-hmm. he's really you know shown himself to be formidable and they're just they have a really solid defense they've been sort of you know dominating the midfield play and they just you know pissed off portugal again and again and again yeah and I, I feel like this is just a theme that I'm just hating on all the big players from the big teams, <laughs> but I have, I have specific reasons for all of them. But you know, it's it's great to see Ronaldo just walk off the field crying. Yeah, with no team. You know, tough a, tough break for as Ronaldo a, as a Man United fan, and also just you know, someone who does not like things Ronaldo has done in his past. It's really you know, it's it's cool to see, and also. You know, if you watch some of the scenes in like Astoria in Queens, like mm. all the all the all the Moroccan fans, yeah, it's it's just really cool to see. Like you know, yeah. the whole whole continent, and especially a country, is really you know. Yeah, a couple of my um, like housemates were are Moroccan, and they were watching it, and yeah. it's it's it, I mean, it's really really exciting. It's, it's really exciting. It's an awesome thing to see. Yeah, um, and yeah, I feel like I don't know. We maybe counted them out against Spain. I mean, that was happening yeah. before, and. I don't know. I, at least I thought it was like, oh, maybe this is just like, you know, yeah. a fluke. But it seems uh, they're a really, really strong team. Yeah, I they mean, they're, they have that amazing goalkeeper. Yeah, he's, no, like he's he's really, you know, he's just like I, I, when the first time I saw him, I'm just like, oh, wow, he's just really pretty. Like he's, <laughs> he's, he's a really pretty guy. No, he's, he seems incredible. At, like when he was, you know, going up for those for that for that set of penalty kicks they had against Spain. Like yeah. he was just like mocking the Spanish players. It was, like, smiling insane, the whole time. Yeah. Like it was like, oh wow, like this guy is <laughs> swagger. It was awesome. Yeah. Um, you know, it was it's really cool to see. And I you know, as much as I don't think they're gonna beat France, I really would love them to beat France. Yeah. And speaking of France, uh the last game that we need to talk about is England France, which I happened to do some reporting. I yeah. was at Amity yeah. Hall here um in Morningside. Um so we have an early, a great, great goal from the French um, yep. to start off. And then Harry Kane scored a penalty, which I will play for us now. This is live and not live, but there's the goal. That's some, that's some mixed support right there. It's mixed. It's mixed. You'll hear uh, it's coming home chant starting pretty soon. <laughs> It's yeah. great to hear. Yeah, it's fun. It was fun. Um, and then uh, France yeah. went up again. Yeah, classic, you know, Olivia Giroud. Yeah. Uh, her, you, know, my, you know, my dad was texting me during the game. At the very start of the game, he's like, it's going to be Giroud. It's going <laughs> to be Giroud. And I was like, eh, I don't know. If it's, he's, he's older. And he's like, no, it's yeah. going to be Giroud. It's just, as soon as it happens, he's like, yep. Yeah, that's what, and and that you know it was as as unpopular an opinion as this may be. I, I was pretty, I was rooting pretty heavily for England. Yeah, uh, like uh, other than the U.S., that was the team I was rooting for mm. throughout this whole tournament. They just, you know, they they looked dominant in all their games. They looked I, they looked really good in this French game too. Yeah, I really good. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it was it was really too bad. Basically. Yeah, especially with, I mean, Kane got another penalty attempt which yeah. he skied. Yeah, no, it's just. Ugh. And, and and after that, like I, I knew that even though there was like whatever fifteen minutes or twelve minutes left in the clock plus injury time, you just, yeah. you, after that you just can't. It's tough, can't yeah. Like, tough without that momentum. And especially with like I I, I, I just don't think Gareth Southgate could inspire enough. Mm. You know, inspire the players to do what they needed to do in that moment. Yeah. So they only they, they brought on Rashford I think really late. Like yeah. it, it just didn't feel didn't feel right. And yeah. France is just so so dominant in that sort of circumstance like they can just take advantage of it. well i hate to do this to you steven but i did get some audio from uh the the scene yep. 
um, and the French win. Which had a lot of supporters, I'm assuming from Sciences Po, which does their exchange program here. Yeah. They were, it was very exciting. Yep. Anyways, yeah. um, so that was the quarterfinals. Yep. A lot of fun, all in all. And now looking into the semis and yep. the finals, which yeah. are the semis are Tuesday and Wednesday. The finals are Sunday. Sunday, Sunday yep. Um, um, both the Tuesday and Wednesday games at 2 o'clock, finals at 10 o'clock. Yes, that's an Eastern time. Yep. Um, so what are your thoughts? Yeah, so first, you know, I think these games – as much as I, you know, don't want to be a downer, I think these games are going to be not quite as good as the quarterfinals. Quarterfinals, they're not exactly going to be as competitive. I, I would, you know, I, I think that, you know, Croatia and Morocco are both defensive teams, and right. I think Argentina. It just first of all, Argentina in this Croatia game, I think they're just going to win. Like I, yeah. I, I really do. Like I think Messi, kind of can't lose this game, and I think Croatia is tired. They're older, so I would at least at least my prediction is Argentina will win two nothing. All right, two. 2-0 Argentina, then we have Morocco France. Yeah, like Which I, I'm hoping I'm hoping for a good game. I'm hoping for a good game. I'm hoping for France to be really annoyed. I'm hoping for some Mbappe, you know, size. Yeah. Uh, I, like I, I hate picking the favorites, but I, I do think France will win. And I yeah. think I think it's gonna be it, it's gonna be like three one. Like three I one. I, th- I think they're finally gonna finish like figure out Morocco. Mm. I think they're I think they're just good enough and have just enough players to just do it. All right, so if we are looking at a France-Argentina final, yeah, what are you thinking? Repeat? <sighs> like, I, I bet on France originally to win it, so I'm just going to stick with that and say France because, you, know, you know, I think of those, of a France-Argentina final, I'd rather France win. Mm. And I think if, if, if Argentina wins, it's going to be in a nail-biting, you know, till the last second, yeah. you know, thing. While if France wins, they could do it in style. They could yeah. Really, they could run up the score. Yeah, that's fair. Well, um, this will be kind of our last uh, World Cup coverage. Yeah. Uh, what's been your thought of the World Cup so far? You know, there have been some great games. Um, there, are, you know, it's it's not, I think, been as good of a World Cup as it possibly could have been because of where it's being held. Right. And There's you, know, a lot you, of... you, you can't, you really can't discount that. And I yeah. think as, as, as fun as some of these games have been, it's also just depressing. Yeah, like it's yeah. it's essentially just like oh wow this sucks that we have to do this in this type of place and and also you know at this time of year too I wish yeah. it's better in the summer it's better you know I think players are more rested um, and less burned out and also just like you know this is a frankly evil place to play the games and yeah to have hosted so yeah all right well um, I'm looking forward to the final still and um, yeah I'm no I, I mean I'm gonna watch it certainly yeah. Like, can't have too much more moral high ground here yeah well thanks for coming on the show steven and thanks for um, having me yeah have a good world cup finals thanks again to steven for coming on i hope you're all enjoying the cup uh, as well as some good points that he made there at the end um we have one more segment for you um and this will be the last ferris of them all of the year We've had a lot of fun bringing you this segment, and I hope you've been enjoying it. I now turn it to Lex and Lucas, who come at us uh, earlier this morning in Ferris Dining Hall here at Columbia University. Hi, I'm Lucas. And I'm Lex. And we're standing outside of Ferris Dining Hall, the only open dining hall on campus. And we're here to find out who's the Ferris of them all. Hi, we're here with... Joseph. Joseph, why are you here so early in the morning? Uh, I have a final today, so I need to study. Ouch. What final? Uh, Latin American Civilizations 1. Mm. Do you like the class? I love it. Would you recommend it? Definitely. Professor Pizzagoni is the GOAT. All right. What are you getting here at Ferris? I'm getting a four-egg omelet with a bunch of vegetables and some bacon to, to feed my brain. How many eggs come in a normal Ferris omelet? I would say three. Yeah. And they let you upgrade? <laughs> they let me upgrade. <laughs> Do they seem like happy about it or mad about it? What's the deal with the upgrade? Um, 
I would say that the omelet guys are the nicest people in the in the Columbia Dining Columbia Dining community. So just um, get what you want. Don't be afraid. That's great advice. Um, Speaking of, do you have any like general advice for the listeners at home? Um, for the omelets or Ferris or Columbia or anything. whatever Life. you think. Um, for the omelet line, I would say get scrambled, and that way you could track where your omelets at, because they always put a spatula on top of it. That's excellent advice. Thank you, Joseph. Good luck with your final. Good luck with your final. Thank you. (laughs) Hi, we're here again with... Maria. Maria, Maria, you've been on uh, Ferris of the Mall before, right? Yes, I have. And what brings you back to Ferris Dining Hall this early in the morning? The exact same thing that brought me last time. I have an I have econ at 8:40, which pretty much sucks. And then I have a, a final midterm actually. In econ? No, I have a psych midterm right after econ, like a 10:10. So it sucks. You have a psych midterm on the last day of classes. I do. I do. It's it, it's insane. Have you brought up to your professor the literal definition of the words mid and term? I, I wouldn't. I would be too scared. Yeah, no. Yeah, I can't do that. Um, how are you feeling now that it's the last econ class? I'm glad it's over, but the final actually scares me so much. So I'm like, hanging in there, see what's going to happen. Remind us what econ class it is. Principles. Literally, it's supposed to be easy, but it isn't. It's, we, he's new, the professor, so he's very hard. It's not, um... No, he's actually, I feel like, Gulati's replacement. Oh, interesting. Wait, what's his name? Miguel. He's, he's actually, okay, he's a good teacher, but his midterm was really hard. Gotcha. Would you recommend the class to someone who's, like, interested in econ? Yeah, if you're really interested in econ, I would say you should take it. It's going to be hard, but if you're really interested, like, if it's going to be your major, he's really good. And... What are you getting uh, this morning for breakfast in advance of your last midterm and your last econ class? An omelet. What's in your omelet? Ham and cheese, really basic. Oh, that's fantastic. And do you have any advice for the listeners at home? Wake up early and there's a, like, a shorter omelet line pretty much if you want to come. We're doing a lot of omelet-themed advice today. I think that's what's yeah. on people's minds. I wonder why. <laughs> um, all right, well, thank you so much. Good luck on your midterm. All right, thank you. And we're back with the next segment of uh, Who's the Ferris of the Mom? The famous egg review. Yeah, I'm going to be honest. Um, I sort of looked at this main line, and I kind of thought that God was punishing us for something. I mean, yeah, yeah. But looks can be deceiving. <laughs> So let's hop right in with the very brown this morning eggs. No, watery too, Mm -hmm. extremely watery. Um. Hmm. I mean, mine are bad. Mine are also bad. Mm -hmm. Um, They had the two bad visual elements eggs can have. Mine tastes like cheese, but there's no cheese in them. Huh. But not like in a super funky or like, oh, they're like off way. Just, just in a like, like in a cheesy way. They just taste like cheese. <laughs> All right. Maybe that, that's maybe a mark in favor of the eggs. Like how does. Um, I think it depends on how much you're going to, you're going to like think about it. Um, All right. Tater tot. That's a tater tot. It's a tater tot. Um, it's like kind of dry today. Like very heavy on the outside tater tot element, very light on inside tater tot element. But Notably not doing that thing where it explodes like a half of a cup of oil into your mouth. Lovely. As always, good tater tot. Yeah. We're on like a, like, I think like four month tater tot streak. Yeah. Um, all right, next up, let's do the sausage. Sausage, yeah. We have both represented both the sausage patty and the, the sausage link. The sausage link is pretty good. Yeah. It's sort of, it's like not quite as spicy as it is sometimes, and I kind of like a spicy sausage link, but mm-hmm. 
It's really good. It's warm. Tastes mm -hmm. like sausage. Um, yeah, and the sausage patty, also pretty good. It's like a little sweet today, which is interesting. Also not spicy. Um, sort of a drier texture than sometimes. Like a more, like, I don't know, higher up on the Mohs scale, for sure. Yeah. Um, all right, and biscuit, visually, definitely wet. Mine is dry. Mine has, like, nothing of the, like, no, no syrup wet. on top of it. Okay, we have one wet biscuit and one dry biscuit. It's pretty good. Despite looking wet, mine was completely dry, I will and say. And despite looking dry, mine was pretty, like, you know, nice. Yeah. I'm trying um, not to say the word moist on air, by the way. Um... But, so if you set your expectations for a dry biscuit, I think you'll be pleasantly surprised. If you set your expectations for a wet biscuit, you might be a little let down. Yeah, I think that's fair. Now, I noticed, Lex, today you got the, um... The goop. <laughs> the goop. I was going to say the porridge. No, the it's, it's gravy. It's gravy. I know. When the biscuit is dry, sometimes I like it. It tastes fine. It always tastes exactly the same. Um, it, like, looks like Elmer's glue with chunks. But it tastes sort of pleasingly of... Nothing. <laughs> or like, it's like perfumed of ham, maybe. Um, yeah, perfumed of ham is it's really my wheel. <laughs> yeah, or our band name. Yeah. Um, all right. Moving swiftly on into our next section, um, we've heard about what several different people are eating today, but now it's time to hear what's eating Lucas. So tell us, Lucas, what's eating you? So I looked at the weather app this morning and I saw that the sun is going to set at 4.30 p.m. Um, that made me very sad because I liked the sun and I was hoping it would stay out later than that. See, that's interesting because one thing that I think that you know about me is that I like when the sun sets at 4.30. Yeah, this Even is like I like the quality. Sun. It is, is maybe you, like, my most evil quality. bring this on us every year. I think I suffer from reverse seasonal effectiveness <laughs> disorder. Which does not mean that I am not affected by the seasons, but in fact that I like like it when it gets dark early and I get kind of sad and listless in the summertime, um, even though I like do things in the summer. This is like so insane. I just want the, the listeners to know that like that we're not normalizing this. This is like weird and we really shouldn't even be platforming it mm -hmm. to begin with. Well, but too here, late. <laughs> here we are. You've made your bed. Um, and now you're going to lie in it from the hours of, like, 4.30 until 8.30 a.m. the next morning. Well, you really hit on the point right there. You just hit the nail on the head. What I like is that, like, on a day like today, you know, I'm done with all my classes are in the morning. Um, you know, so I can really pretend that I'm a morning person, work for a while. And by the afternoon, like, by 4.30, I could be, like, done going outside. Like, I could, like, be, like, so cozy from the hours of, like, 4 to 10 and then fall asleep at, like, 10. Yeah. Oft and oftentimes I fall asleep at, like, 1 or 2. But it's, like, nice to go to bed early. But I can't do it unless I'm, like, have been, like, winding down for a long time. See, the thing about that is that if you, like me, have, like, things that you have to do tonight after 4.30... It's the worst thing in the world. Yeah. There's no, like, time indicator in the sky that you're moving from one thing to the next. It's just this, like, dull, endless night. No, I'm, I, like, I'm really right there with you. Like, even if you have the most fun thing in the world to do, like, tomorrow when we go to the concert and it will already have had been dark for three or four hours, yeah. we're going to a concert tomorrow. Um, that's going to be Way to give context awful. on, on that. <laughs> I thought it was important. How else would they have known that we're going to a concert? Okay, fine. Ignore my previous aside. <laughs> um, <laughs> anyway, mostly I'll be can be done by four thirty, and I'm going to try to make it so that I am, and then I maybe like get in bed at four thirty. Sounds delightful. Oh, sorry for talking about what's eating me <laughs> instead of what's eating you. No, it's, I'm I'm being very uneaten today. Um, I think that so now we're here with our final segment. Who's the fairest of them all, where we pick? Who is the fairest of them all? And this time, we had a sort of wonderful coincidence where we named, uh, interviewed someone named Joseph and someone named Maria, which, for the holiday season, I feel like means it's it would be a... Apropos. 
be a sin to choose between them. And so, and given that they also talked about a lot of the same things, final stress, omelets, you know, sort of really what's happening on campus. Um, and so sort of because of that, we think that they're both the fairest of them all. Yeah. So that's our, our review of the eggs and of the dining Who's hall. Who's the fairest of them all. And we'll, we'll see, see you after winter break next yeah. semester. Happy holidays. Happy holidays. All right. Thank you to Lex and Lucas. And thank you to all of you at home for listening to Monday Morningside this semester. Uh, it's been a real pleasure bringing it to you. And thanks again for listening. Uh, we will be back um, at, 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 at latest uh, early next year. Um, hope you're all having a lovely morning. It's now 932. Um, and now it's time for Syria music. Have a great 2022.